Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Um, I'm pretty much done with the Yankees, temporarily. Uh, they got to figure some stuff out, man. I don't know. Horrible, horrible loss. I mean, as great as Garrett Cole's been, he completely blew a, a game where the Yankees could have taken two of three from the Tampa Bay Rays, which just, for morale purposes, would have been great. Um, blows a 6 nothing lead. He even said, unacceptable. It's awful, you know? Tough, tough. Both New York teams, the Mets and the Yankees, such high expectations. Both of them are bad. We're both bad. It's not. It's not good. It is not. It is not good at all. Um, but for the playoffs, Knicks are playing tonight, Monday night, with their backs against the wall here, down two to one. Game four in Miami, gonna be a uh, a tough win. But your backs against the wall, you have to win because you cannot go back to New York down three to one. Uh, the Suns tied it up. The Sixers tied it up. The Lakers, they also play tonight. Monday night is their game four as well, along with the Knicks and the Heat. So Lakers up 2-1, Heat are up 2-1. I'm pulling for the Lakers, and I'm pulling for the the Knicks, my Knicks. And Embiid, MVP, Jokic, I hope he doesn't get suspended. Uh, There was an altercation between him and what turned out to be the Suns' owner in the game last night. but. We're going we're gonna to get into all of that on today's episode of From My Point of View. First, if you, want, if you download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code Animal House, you will get a 100% match deposit up to $100. It's quick. It's easy. Link is uh, in the description if you want to be even quicker about it. So un- download the Underdog app today and get 100% uh, match deposit up to $100 when you use the promo code Animal House. They are, we're doing, you know, promotions, um, or Animal House is doing promotions in the NBA where it's like, you know, I think they already did Jalen Brown. They did RJ Barrett one time too. And I think, uh, this weekend or today actually is LeBron. So on the underdog pickums, you just go to, you go to pick them and then you, it'll be promoted there. LeBron higher than Higher or low, I don't know why you would do, do lower. It's still an option technically, but higher than half a point in tonight's game. And then you can just tack on, you know, whatever else you want in the pick them. You get a free pick. So let's get into it. Uh, the NBA playoffs, we will start with Sunday night, the Sunday night games. Um, Joel Embiid. And the Sixers tied up. James Harden went nuclear again. He scored 45 in game one. Or 40, what is it? 40, yeah, 45 in game one to steal a, a, a win in Boston for the Sixers to go up 1-0. Uh, they proceed to drop the next two, one in Boston and then the first game in Philly. Harden was maybe the worst player on planet Earth. Uh, in game two, he was just absolutely gassed uh, from game one. In game two, Embiid came back, um, and the, the Celtics blew him out. Celtics win big again in game three. Harden, he looks a little bit better, but he just could not get a shot to fall, and by the time the end of the third quarter came around, he was getting deep penetration into the paint and just 
wasn't even looking to shoot the basketball. Just kept passing it. The Celtics were basically playing for that. He kept turning the ball over. Not a good game at all in Game 3 for Harden. And B did have a good Game 3, but to no avail. And then in Game 4, Harden steps up to the plate yet again. 42 points for playoff Jim Harden, including a corner three, which gave the Sixers a 116-115 lead, and the victory, a horrible last possession for the Celtics. Jason Tatum at the top of the key, taking way too long to get into the offensive set, probably with, I think, less than six seconds left, really. He started to move the ball around. They made one pass. Brogdon made a pass out to Marcus Smart, who was wide open on the wing for a three, and he drilled it, but the clock had expired because they didn't have enough time. Again, they took too long to get into that offensive set, and the clock expired even though Marcus Smart drilled it. South, I mean, the Sixers get away with the win, 116-115. Uh, Embiid had like 34, but Harden, again, stepped up big time for the Sixers. Uh, 34 points, 13. Or that 34 points and 13 rebounds for Embiid, 42 points, eight rebounds, and nine assists for James Harden. He made six three pointers. Uh, just an unbelievable effort from him. And the series is now tied two to two going back to Boston. Uh, and they'll, that'll be 1 1 1 the rest of the way. So Boston, Philly, and then Boston if there is a game seven. Uh, Jalen Brown was asked. After uh, the game, what he thinks he, he has to do later, uh, later in the games. Because he, he started off really hot, and I think he had 16 points in the first half. He ended with 23, so, and he was, he was on fire, you know? Um, and they, it happens a lot with the Celtics. If you, if you watch the Celtics all year, things like that happen where Jalen Brown's hot, and then he just stops. And it's like Tatum chucking up shots the entire time. Like, I understand Tatum's great, but sometimes Jalen Brown knows how to like take a backseat to Tatum. Jason Tatum doesn't know how to take a backseat to Jalen Brown. And this is what Jalen Brown said after when a reporter said, What do you have to do in the fourth quarter? Jalen, you had three shots in the fourth quarter and not in overtime. How do you become more active in the offense, especially down the stretch? Uh. I guess I got to demand the ball a little bit more. Um, I thought good things happened when I had it in my hands, but I thought our offense was 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 okay. I thought we we made we chipped away, we made big time shots, we got great looks all game long, um, and we just came up short in the end. And you can you can really hear the frustration in his voice. That game went to overtime, by the way. I'm sorry, I, I totally forgot to mention that. That game went into overtime. Uh, it was big down the stretch. I think Harden actually made a layup to tie it as well. Uh, and then Marcus Smart missed a three to win it at the end of regulation. But you can hear the frustration in Jalen Brown. I mean, this guy, he is capable of getting hot with the best of them. And, you know, he, there were a couple times already this series, let alone this playoffs, there's been multiple times where he, I, I don't, he hasn't eclipsed 25 points in like four or five games because they just, he doesn't get the ball. Um, you know, it's just certain things that shouldn't be happening like that. Um, perfect example, the other day, he scored like 24 points. 
He was like 8 of 10 shooting. Why is Jalen Brown only getting 10 shot attempts? Uh, and, and it's it's something like that where the Celtics have one advantage with Jalen Brown this uh, coming offseason. If, if he makes an all-NBA team, they can extend him to a max contract that no one else can offer him. Uh, if he doesn't make an all-NBA team this year, he's probably gone. In free, I, I, I think he should just leave in free agency anyway. Um, it feels like he's grown frustrated. I, I mean, we saw it in the finals last year as well. Like, Jalen Brown came to play every game, and Tatum was the one who was kind of shrinking a little bit. But management and the Celtics, like, they have, they donned Jason Tatum, the leader of the Celtics and the new face of the franchise, the, his rookie year, the moment he was drafted. Now, granted, when Jason Tatum came into the league, he was a much better player than Jalen Brown. But every single year, Tatum's more or less been the same player and Jalen Brown has done nothing but get better and better and better and better to now, there's not a gap between the two. You know, I, I, I personally don't think so. I think they're, they're on the same playing field here. They, they are both equally talented, and there's no reason why Jalen Brown should be considered the secondary option to Jason Tatum. There just isn't. You know, I'm sorry. There, there's just, I don't really feel like, you can, you can nitpick, and obviously everything is, is subjective here, but you can give the edge to Tatum in, in rebounding or, you know, sh- three-point shooting, playmaking. Like, those are some of the things people say Jalen, uh, Jason Tatum does better than Jalen Brown. But Jalen Brown doesn't get the ball enough. He doesn't, Jason Tatum always has the ball in his hands. Maybe when he shouldn't. You know, like, why is Jalen Brown not getting more looks when he has a hot hand? They just so easily go away from him in some instances. It, it's concerning. It really is. Uh, but you can tell he's frustrated. He can easily go to a team and be the, the number one option there. He's a, def- a fantastic two-way player. Uh, like I said, you can, you can hear the frustration there, and maybe he should demand the ball more. But I, like you can understand why someone like him would be rubbed the wrong way when it's just like it feels like no matter no matter how hard he tries, no matter how well he plays, it'll always be Jason Tatum. The Celtics won a game in this series. I think it was game uh game two. It's game two or game three, but one of the two games they won, obviously. But they won it by 40 points. And Jason Tatum had four. He went like one for seven in 19 minutes because he got into foul trouble and then they blew him out. So they were like, all right, we're not even going to play Jason Tatum. He had four points and they won by 40. Like that is, it's no other, you talk about superstars in this league. No other superstar can score four points and their team win by 40. There's not a single other quote unquote superstar in the league that can be allowed to to do like that and you know what no one flamed Tatum for being absolutely horrendous that game because his team won by 40 so it gets swept under the rug people forget about it like yeah he can go nuclear but I remember him in the finals last year the guy who the number one guy on that team last year who showed up in the finals was Jalen Brown game after game in those finals him not Tatum him so you know I would hey. 
I would. I think Jalen Brown's going to look great in a Knicks uniform, baby. That's all I'll say. <laughs> He's going to look great in a Knicks uniform. I would, I would love to have him in New York. He's a stud, man. Just an absolute stud. I would love to see him, you know, leave in free agency. And personally, I think he might be done with it. I just, it's not his franchise. No matter how well he plays and how hard he tries, it will never be his franchise. It's always going to be Jason Tatum. And, you know, he resigned. He got an extension already. And now he's due for another one. More, way more money than last time because he's a better player. So, if I'm him, like, maybe go somewhere else with some other teammates that you might gel a little bit better with. because. You're frust like it's frustrating. You have basically the same core of Celtics for like the last four years, five years, whatever it is, and you got you keep going to Eastern Conference Finals. You've went to you have been to a Finals. You're there, but you just can't get over the hump. So maybe it's time to go to a different team who is well built. And you getting in there, you might just be the guy that gets them over. Like it's possible. You know, it's definitely possible, uh, but I really like Jalen Brown and I would like to see him go somewhere else to see if he gets, you know, treated a little bit better. Um, Cause that's what I would, if I was in his position, which obviously I'm not, but if I was in his position and I'm, I'm in contract negotiations, I'm, I'm like, I'm pushing the Jason Tatum thing. Like, listen. We, we're not equals right now. They are equals talent-wise, but in the eyes of the Celtics, they're not. It's just very obvious that Tatum's the golden boy and Jalen Brown's not, even though he deserves to be. So is there a team that's going to come along and be like, you're, you're our guy. You're going to be the guy here. I think that's something that he definitely will consider and should consider. Um, but this series is tied up. At 2-2, uh, it is a officially a best of three, and it, it really it just depends on Harden. Like Embiid can score, you know, thirty-five to forty points all he wants, but if James Harden doesn't show up, or at least you know play meaning contri- contributing to meaningful basketball, like 20, 25 points. 30 points is asking a lot, but 20, 25 points, um, they don't have a shot. Like, they need him to be James Harden. Tobias Harris is pretty much a bum, unreliable. You know, it, it's Embiid and Harden versus Tatum and, and Brown. That's, that's how it is. And if James Harden, obviously, when he goes, he has two games where he's horrible. He was the worst player on the floor. And then he has two games where he's the best player on the floor. So you got to, if you, if you want a chance of consistency, it can't be boom or bust moving forward. You, hopefully Harden kind of finds his, his, you know, his, his footing a little bit. Um, but this is a series, man. It, it is a series and it's going to be uh, an exciting end to it. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Celtics probably win it out. Um, I would love to see the Sixers win, but I just, I don't know if they can. Uh, I, I, it depends. James Harden's the most important player in this series. Like, his, his uh, output in these games 
basically decides it. So the other game, Sunday night, Nuggets and the Suns. Uh, there's a saying that the series doesn't really start until a road team wins the game. So now you're at a best of three here with the Nuggets and the Suns. Nuggets won the first two at home. Then the Suns win the next two in Phoenix. Devin Booker is the best player in these playoffs left right now. He, over the last week and a half, he has been the best player in the playoffs. He has, and that's including Anthony Davis when he's good. Because Anthony Davis is going up and down, up and down, up and down. He can't string two games, two good games together for whatever reason. But Devin Booker is only the third player right now in the, this isn't even just this round, this is the entire playoffs now. Devin Booker is the third player all time right now to be averaging 30 plus points a game on 60% or higher field goal percentage. He's shooting 62% from the field, like 61.9% from the field and averaging a, a hair under 37 points a game. He is unstoppable. You listen to his output just on this game, on this series alone. 10 for 19, 27 points, 8, eight assists, 4 rebounds on 10 and, 10 and 19 shooting. 35 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds on 14 and 29 shooting, 4 of 8 from 3. 47 points, 9 assists, 6 rebounds on 20 of 25 shooting, 5 of 8 from 3. And then last night, 36 points, 12 assists, and 6 rebounds on 14 of 18 shooting, 3 of 4 from 3. Now. The last two games are what he's done without Chris Paul. The ball is in his hands way more. He's playmaking way more. He had nine assists and 12 assists. He's facilitating the ball and scoring the ball at an outrageous clip. He's hitting three-pointers. He's, he's, he's just super patient. He's working around his screens. He's getting to his spot. He rises up. Cash, he's one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA, if not the best mid-range shooter in the NBA. He's hitting his threes. He's making good passes. He's dealing with some foul trouble, but he's been playing great defense even with some fouls. You know, uh, in game three that they won, he had four fouls basically the entire second half and didn't pick up his fifth until almost completely done with the fourth quarter. So he's, he's playing hard, good hard defense. He has been the essential two-way player this, especially this series against the Nuggets. Um, and you can look at it and said, well, he's only scoring this much because he has KD. Yeah, but who else is scoring besides Kevin Durant? No one. It's him and KD. Landry Shamet had some big threes on Sunday. I'll give him that for sure. But, you know, you look at the box score, and last night, Booker and Durant had 36 each. Shamet had 19. No one else was in double digits. And that's including DeAndre Ayton, who has just been completely useless this series basically uh and then on the other end Jokic had 53 on 20 of 30 shooting Murray had 28 and they still lose they their entire starting lineup was in double digits and they still lost um it, it's been it's been crazy like it has been a really really tough 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 battle Jokic is like at this point he's throwing up his hands and he's like you know, it's two guys. It's it's two dudes. Like, what are we, how, how are we losing? Two guys. They can't miss. They cannot miss, bro. They've been so good, Durant and Booker. They have been so good. 
and just willing this Suns team to victory. And honestly, the Suns have been better without Chris Paul. Chris Paul, those first two games of the series, was getting absolutely cooked while contributing basically next to nothing offensively. So he was a complete liability. And now without Chris Paul, they're running a deeper... The, the Nuggets had eight guys going. last Really seven guys. Uh, Christian Brown got eight minutes, which is really nothing. And then uh, Bruce Brown and Jeff Green had 20 minutes each. And then the rest goes to the starting lineup. They were basically running Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Jokic, Murray, and, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope the entire game. Whereas now the Suns are digging a little bit deeper. The Suns, who don't really have a lot of depth. The Nuggets don't really have a lot of depth. They're really Both of these teams are relying heavily on their starting five. But you have Durant played 44 minutes. Booker played 40 minutes. And the next highest guy was Landry Shamit played 30 minutes. Everyone else played less than that. Okogie's in the starting lineup. He played 17 minutes. Aiton in the starting lineup, 27 minutes. Cameron Payne in the starting point guard role now, 25 minutes. TJ Warren played 19. Landell played 21, who he has been giving them excellent minutes as a backup center. It's basically splitting time now with DeAndre Ayton because DeAndre Ayton losing his minutes because he's been so bad. And Terrence Ross got 17 minutes. I would kind of like to see Terrence Ross play a little bit more, but listen, Landry Shamit, 6-9, 5-8 from deep. Did exactly what the Suns needed him to do. Come off the bench and shoot the lights out from three. And that's exactly what he did. Um, The Suns have Darius Baisley. Did not know that. But, you know, Chris Paul didn't play. Damian Lee didn't play. Uh, Biombo, Wainwright, and Baisley all didn't play. But they just got to get guys who play defense. Play defense. And if you're wide open, knock down your shot. But Booker and Durant will handle the rest. I mean, there is not, they can't stop. Like the fact that they are two of the most prolific scorers in the NBA and two of the hottest shooters in the NBA right now, you can't double them. Because when you double them, someone's open. And then when someone's open, they could just pump fake, drive. Now someone else will kick it out. Boom, rotate, like swing the ball. Ball movement is key. You get into Duran Booker's hands, they're open. They shoot it and they knock it down. And it's just, it didn't seem like there was anything the Nuggets can do to stop them. Uh, so this series is tied 2-2. The biggest thing coming out of uh, this last game here, game four, um, was the fact that Jokic got into a... Nah, not an altercation. He gave a little shove to Matt Ish- uh, Ishbia, I believe is how you say it. He is the owner of the Suns, the new owner of the Suns. And what had happened was the ball went out of bounds and a Suns player had gone into the into like that section on the baseline and Ishbia had the ball in his hands the basketball in his hands and Jokic tried to get it from him and he like moved his hand and knocked it away and then got real close to Jokic even put a hand on him not pushed him but he got real close to Jokic and Jokic kind of gave him a little forum like get away from me who are you you're a fan get away from me and then it's only an issue because he's the Suns owner if this was and Jokic, how is Jokic supposed to know that's the Suns owner? He doesn't know. Why would he? To him, that's just a random fan who's getting way too close and, and coming into contact with him, so he's pushing him away. And he didn't shove him. He didn't stiff arm him. He gave him a little extended, extended forearm. Basically, 
you know, sometimes shooters do that in the NBA to gain separation. That's basically what it was. And the Suns owner, you know, fell down in his seat and everyone was like, oh, Jokic pushed the Suns owner. Oh my God. No, it was not that big of a deal. It, there should be no suspension at all. If, because if this wasn't the Suns owner and this was just a random fan, he would have been kicked out of the game. He would have been flat out kicked out of this game if he was just a random fan for one, holding the ball like he, you know, is a part of the game, which Jokic even said, he's like, he's holding the ball like he's, he, he wants to be a part of the game. That's not how it works. If he's a fan, he's a fan. To me, if anything, he should be acting even more professional than an average fan would, which he, he really wasn't. So, I mean, he has, he's in the wrong in my, I'm siding with Jokic and I want the Suns to win this series, but I'm siding with Jokic. And, you know, this is like, he even came out and said, well, I don't want the league to take any action. I don't want them to suspend Jokic. It, it was like no harm, no foul. It's fine. Like, don't worry about it. It is what it is. And he should be saying that because he's really not in the right here. He should not have been holding on to the ball like he did. That's, you know, kind of like a delay of game kind of issue. And he got a little too close to Jokic, you know, put, throw the ball back on the court and sit down and, and watch the game, right? You're there as a fan. You want to be there as an owner? Go up into the press box, you know, go up into one of your, into your, one of your luxury suites in your boxes and hang out and watch the game up there. You want to be a fan sitting courtside like that? Act appropriately because that's, that's not how you're really supposed to do it. Um, now, I'm saying that I don't really think it was a big deal either way. I think it was blown out of proportion, but you'd be you'd be a crazy person to say if that wasn't a regular fan, he probably would have been escorted out of the game. He would have. But it's the Suns owner, which now somehow is gets the, a reverse, it's an Uno card effect, reverse effect where it's like Jokic came in contact with the Suns owner. He should be suspended. No. Just Basically, forget about it. Wipe the slate clean. There's nothing that needs to be handled about anything when it comes to this little sideline. You know, I'm not even, it's not even a scuffle, whatever. Contact, point of contact that happened. Don't worry about it. Um, but Jokic, me and my friend, we were all, we were all, you know, talking about the game last night when it was on in our group chat and we're talking. And one of my friends, shout out Riley. Hates Michael Porter Jr., bro. He's like, I can't believe they paid Michael Porter Jr. this much money to just shoot at, shoot threes, yuck up threes. He doesn't do anything else. Um, he, you know, he'll occasionally have a game where he's a decent rebounder, but he doesn't play make. Like, when he gets the ball, he's shooting it. And last night, it was he had a horrible decision when he pulled up for a transition three. Ayton, DeAndre Ayton nearly fouled him. But he missed him on the swipe, thank God. And Porter, I think, ended up airballing. It was an out-of-bounds turnover. So it's just he either needs to add something to his game or just be smarter with his shot selection because he is shooting a ton. Like, you know, he'll, he'll go 5 of 8 from 3 and... His over-under 17 and a half, and he'll finish with the under. Going five of eight from three. Because it doesn't do anything else. 
He did absolutely yam it on Durant, though. That was pretty sick. Um, but he, I mean, he doesn't play good defense, even though he sh- he is six foot ten and super long and athletic. There's no reason why he shouldn't be a good defender, but he's just not. Um, yeah, I mean, he just he needs to add something. You need you need to contribute more than just shoot. You get paid too much money to just be sh- straight up just just shooting threes. Uh, but this comes down to who's going to have an off night. Is it going to be Durant or, or Booker? Because Durant was 11 of 19, 2 of 4, and he had 36, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists, where Booker had 36, 12 assists, and 6 rebounds. So they had basically the same stats except flipped re- uh, rebounding and assist numbers. Book was 14 of 18, 3 of 4 from 3. Durant was 11 of 19, 2 of 4 from 3. and. What was he from the free throw line? 12 of 13 from the free throw line for Kevin Durant. Devin Booker. Oh my God. I forgot. I forgot who was saying it on the broadcast. It might. I think it was a couple days ago when he dropped 46. It might have been JJ Redick. I don't remember who was on the broadcast. But they were saying. I, I don't remember if the broadcast was on TNT or ESPN. But I'm pretty sure it was JJ Redick. I might be wrong. But they said Book was such a, not a, he, what word did they use? It, it was, they described him like his scoring is so unbelievable because he's not bait fouling. You know, some guys like Harden used to do it all the time when he was in his prime. He'd get to the free throw line a bunch. Shea Gilders Alexander now does it all the time, gets to the free throw line. Uh, and Luka Doncic. Bait fouls, gets to the free throw line. A lot of premier scorers in this league bait foul. And, you know, they're getting to the line 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 times a game. And they're converting at a high rate because they're great free throw shooters. Devin Booker does not really do that. Booker's only shooting 4, 5. This was, he was 5 of 6 from the line. 4, 5, 6. You know, and that only means he's getting fouled 3 or 4 times a game. Shooting, shooting fouls, you know, and that's not even accounting for maybe at the end of the game when they're doing, uh, when the opponent's doing like take foul situations, if, if he has the ball, that's two free throws just on a take foul. Um, but book is like, he's not driving and penetrating and, and, you know, pump faking, getting to the free throw line. No, he is being methodical. He's a methodical scorer and he's, he's using the pick and roll. He's getting the matchups he wants. He's isoing. He's. You know, he's driving, he's stopping, step back, pull up from the elbow, you know, driving and pull up, floater, layups, right? He's getting to the paint, he's scoring in the paint, he's shooting threes, he's getting open from basically anywhere he wants, and he's making everything. There is not a hotter shooter than Devin Booker in the playoffs right now, and he's just playing an unbelievably beautiful really brand of offensive basketball and then on top of that he's giving you basically everything he's got on defense right now uh he especially with with the rotation that they're at right now booker is playing about as hard as he can defensively and he's a pretty good defender i think because he's such a uh elite offensive player people forget about his defense or just maybe assume that he's not the great greatest defender but he's a good defender. He's not, you know, he's not 
all NBA caliber defender, but he is by no means a bad defender. And Durant's the same thing. You don't really particularly think of Durant as a good defender because of just how prolific he is offensively. But Durant is a good defender and he's been, as he's progressed in his career, he's become more and more of a better shot blocker in the paint. Um, And, you know, why wouldn't he? He's seven feet tall with like an enormous wingspan, so he should be a good shot blocker. And he's shown that this series as well. Uh, he, he has been playing really, really well. Uh, and Booker, like I said, he, he's getting fouls, but that's because he's trying hard. Like he's, he's not letting guys blow by him. He, he's standing his ground. He's playing good defense on top of, you know, on top of what he's scoring. And if he, if he was doing that offensive output and then maybe kind of slacking a little bit defensively, you can kind of be like, you can, you could brush it on the rug and be like, well, you know, what do you expect? He's playing 40 plus minutes a night and he has to carry basically the entire offensive load. How can you expect him to play hard defense? Nah, he, he's, and he had a great press conference too, where, uh, he was playing, he's playing good defense, but he had a great press conference where he said he told KD, you know, fuck all that efficiency bullshit, you know, don't worry about the efficiency nonsense, basically shoot your shot, you know, look, go for your open looks, get to your spots and, and make your shots. Like that's, that's what it's about. Um, he's not worried about, you know, well, three points are the best, you know, they're mo- the most efficient shot because the mid range is back. And I said during the bubble, I remember this specifically, during the bubble, the mid-range is back. You need to be able to have in-between scoring. You can't, there was that fad for, you know, a handful of years where it was like three points or in the paint, nothing in between. And it worked in the regular season, like the Rockets, they scored a lot of games, but also you live and die by that three. You know, if you can't get in the paint, you're living and dying by that three. The Lakers kind of are doing it with the Warriors right now. And that's kind of why they're up two to one in this series, because uh, the Warriors can't really do anything in the paint. They're not really a, th- a mid-range shooting team, and when they don't have shots falling, when Steph and Clay aren't aren't knocking everything down, they can't really compete with the Lakers. So, with the Suns, not only can Durant and Booker shoot the three ball, not only can they drive and get to the paint and get to the foul line and and, and you know make layups and stuff. But they are probably the top two best mid-range shooters in the entire NBA. The mid-range is back. You need to be able to have star players that can score from all three levels in the playoffs if you want to make deep runs. None of this, you know, where it's, it's one or the other or just high-level volume three-point shooting. No, you need to be able to score at all three levels. and. They can with the best of them. They're probably the two best at it right now left in the playoffs. I mean, I, who else? You know, Jokic is great, but he's not a three-point. He can hit a three. He can hit threes. No doubt about it. But that's not his shot of choice. You know, he operates better from the mid-range, and then obviously in the post, he's a beast. Um, he had this crazy shot against Booker. Booker ended up on Jokic, and he was about, you know, 15, 16 feet out, and Booker got called for a blocking foul, and Jokic flipped up the ball as it happened, and it went right in and won. It was a crazy shot. 
And Booker wasn't even playing bad defense. They just, you know, Jokic got him to the ref to call the blocking foul. But it is a fantastic series. I'm so glad the Suns tied it up because they looked just completely outclassed in the first two games. And now these last two games, I think, are more of what we're going to see in the next, you know, three games. I have a feeling this game, this is going to go to seven games. But uh, you look at the first game, 97-87 Nuggets win. Um, or that's the second game, sorry. The first game, 125-107 Nuggets win. Complete blowout, right? Next game, Booker plays really well, but it's not enough. Durant just, he struggled in that game. Booker had 35. Uh, but Durant just had 24 on 10 to 27, two of 12 from deep, and he struggled a little bit. But he started getting he started to get it going. But he did struggle early on and just wasn't enough to come back from it. They win 97 87. Then game two and game three. This is probably what we're looking more moving forward. A closely contested game. 121 114. Suns win. 129 124. Suns win. So it's just about if Durant and Booker are consistent. That the Suns are going to be in every single game. And you look at it and you're like, how realistic is it that you can expect Booker and Durant to continue to score 30, 35 plus on such high efficiency, high efficiency shooting? And you're like, well, they don't have a choice. They have to. So if you have to and you don't have a choice, maybe that fuels you even more. You know, I've never been in that. I, I've played sports all my life, but I've never been in that environment where it's like, you have to do this or you don't have a prayer. You don't have a shot. Booker and Durant are in that spot right now where it's like, if hey, if we don't go out there and score like 35 each, we don't have a shot. Booker and Durant need to score between 70 and 80 points combined if the Suns even want to whiff a W. So... I'm super excited to see if they can keep it going, man. It's It's been wildly entertaining. All right, to move on to the next series, the Lakers and the Warriors. Quick shout out to Bronny James uh, committing to USC. Now, I always, <laughs> I hate that. I Sometimes I just don't like say things that I think on this podcast, you know, because I remember at, at work some a coworker of mine asked where I thought Bronny was going to go to school because we were talking about where you know where he was going to school, and I said if he wants to be the man, he'll go to USC because he's not going. A lot of people were like, "Oh, he's going to go to Ohio State." Like, what? He's not going to Ohio State. He's he was born in Ohio. He's not from Ohio. Okay, he grew up in Los Angeles. He grew up in California. His dad still plays for the Lakers. His family's there now. He's not going to play basketball at Ohio State. He could go to UCLA, but why would he do that when you can go to USC? Because USC is like, it's just the cooler, it's just the cool kid school, you know? It's just, it is what it is. It's always been like that. And the thing with that, though, is they have three point guards now that are on the USC's roster, which is going to be really interesting to see how they run with that. You got Boogie Ellis is still on USC's roster, who he transferred from Memphis. You have the number one recruit now in the, it used to be DJ Wagner was the number one recruit in the ESPN 100, but he actually fell down to like three or four. Now the number one recruit is Isaiah Collier, who I think I'm saying it right. C O L L I E R 
Collier, Collier, whatever. He's the number one recruit now, and he's already signed to USC. So Bronny's now going to USC. You got three point guards. Two are going to be freshmen in Collier and Bronny. And then you have Boogie Ellis, I think, who's going to be a junior. So it's just, I don't, I don't know how that's going to, how that's going to run. But, oh, man, you're going to be seeing a lot of USC basketball on national television, man. That's all I'm telling you. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool, though. You know, LeBron, obviously, he's going to be able to go and see his son when he, whenever he can and on off days or whatever. And uh, he'll obviously be playing close attention to it. But LeBron did say, you know, his, his dream, his, he, he fully expects or he still is fully in, invested in playing in the NBA with his son. And, you know, why wouldn't he? Hell, at this point, just wait for Bryce. Bryce is going to be in the NBA in like four years. Just play till you're 45, LeBron. You can play with Bryce too. Who cares, right? Like, it's, uh, I feel like he's going to have that, that dad thing kick in, man, where he's like, he can do the Udonis Haslam, you know? Like, if, if his body really breaks down, he's just like, oh, I can't do it anymore. But man, do I want to play with Bryce? Like, he can do the Udonis Haslam coach, coach from the bench slash player role, you know? Um, I don't think he would really want to diminish his legacy that that much. Like if LeBron isn't playing like LeBron, I think he he'll probably he'd probably just be the one to be like, all right, I'm hanging it up. Uh, but he he is fully committed to playing till he's at least 40 years old. And if he played till he was 40 and then hung it up, 22 seasons, you're good. Like he you got to play with Bronny is is seems to be his number one goal, but. He did say something about uh, it was like, you know, Bronny, it's, it's up to him. He's, you know, it's his, it's his life and it's, my, it's just my job to support him no matter what because he's my son. And, you know, that's LeBron, man. He's a great dad. And that, that he's, he's like, if for whatever reason... Like, if for whatever reason, Bronny was like, listen, dad, I love you, but I, I don't, I don't think it'd be good for me if I played for, if I played with you, uh, I'm sure that would hurt LeBron's feelings a little bit, but, you know, I would also get it, big shoes to fill, you know, and it's going to be tough, everyone, obviously, is going to be talking about how Bronny is LeBron's son and all that kind of stuff, but he's a completely different ball player, like, uh, Steph actually went over after the game. And because Bronny was courtside, he went over and said, you know, congratulations, I would imagine. He said, congratulations, you know, committing to USC and all that because the news broke right before game three. Um, but they were, you know, they dapped up and they were talking for a brief moment. They're the same height. So Steph's like 6'3". Bronny's, Bronny's about 6'3". Uh, obviously, he's only, you know, 18 years old or 17 years old, turning 18 years old. So... uh. He can still grow, you know, especially with the genes that he has. I'm, I'm sure there's some untapped height in there a little bit that might come around in the next couple years. Uh, but for right now, he's a 6'3 point guard. He's built. He's a tough defender, and he can shoot the ball, and he's got good handles. Like, his jump shot's way better than LeBron's was at this age. His handles are probably better than LeBron's were at this age. Uh, but he's a good defender, and he's sturdy. He's not like one of these wiry super athletic kids. He is athletic and the athleticism is only going to grow as he gets older. So that's a positive. 
Um, but he's got a, a strong, firm body under him. And I think he's going to be a fine NBA player. I know there was a lot of people who were like, well, Bronny's not going to be a good ball player, blah, blah, blah. I think Bronny's going to be a very good, uh, very good player in the NBA. I, re- I, I truly do. Um, Bryce, I think Bryce is going to be a freak. Bryce is, in a year and a half, Bryce went from like five foot seven, five foot eight to six foot six. He's enormous. And, you know, he's 15. Crazy. The, the genes that these kids got. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, I mean, they're both going to be in the NBA someday together. Uh, and it'll be, pretty, it'll be pretty cool. I'll tell you that much. It will be pretty, pretty cool. And speaking of sons, uh, shout out to Derek Jeter. My, my idol, my favorite athlete of all time, uh, gave birth, or his wife, Hannah, gave birth to their son, Caius Green Jeter. He was born on May 5th, 2023. So there's a successor. He is, uh, Jeter has himself a son. So, you know, people are going to have their eyes on him for, you know, let's say in the next 17 years. <laughs> His son will be names all over the place, assuming he plays baseball, which might not be a given. But still, um, Sleep-deprived father of four. Look at that, Derek Jeter. That's his Insta bio now. <laughs> He's got four kids. Wow. Uh, yeah, very exciting stuff. And Jeter was a girl dad because he's his fourth kid, but he had three girls. So he was full-bred girl dad, just like Kobe was. Um, and now he has a son. At 48, you know, it's a bit older, but H- Hannah's pretty young still. I think she's only like 30 or something like that. Um, yeah, congrats to Jeets. Go Jeets, baby. All right, moving on. Lakers, Warriors, game four, Lakers up 2-1. It's up to Anthony Davis. I mean, this entire playoffs, every playoff game the Lakers have been in, when Anthony Davis plays up to his potential and his ceiling, they win, and they win rather easily. It's just the way it goes. When he does not play well, they have not been winning. When he plays well, they blow teams out. He's, he's just, he is the motor that goes. You know, when they won the championship in 2020, LeBron was still a guy that was like, hey, if AD doesn't have it, I could pick up the slack. But that was three years ago. And, you know, LeBron, he was in his late 30s. Now he's even later into his 30s, uh, 38 years old. You know, it's, it's a wear and tear on him. It really is. So... He's not really able to pick up the slack in the same way that he was previously. And now, AD, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, he's been healthy and he's looking great. Like, he's, he is, even, I'll give him credit for this, of course, even on the games during this playoff run where he has not been at his best offensively and he just can't seem to get going, he has still been the best defender on the court. It, you whatever you could say offensively yes he's had his struggles sometimes he can't find his shot sometimes you know he's getting to his spots and they're just not falling it's a bit frustrating and and sometimes that you know that'll make it too little too late for the lakers but regardless of that he's playing great defense he is by far the best defender on the court when he is playing so that's a huge positive obviously for the lakers 
a huge positive. Um, and it's just about the uh, everyone else contributing. Like AD, listen, he doesn't need to give you 35, 40 a night for the Lakers to win. He needs to give you between 25 and 30. And for someone of his caliber of player, for how talented he is, it's not asking a lot. You know, so AD to give you 25 to 30, he's, if he's giving you that, you know what he's giving you along with that? He's giving you at least 10 rebounds, a couple of assists, you know, between two to four blocks, a couple steals, you know, he's just, he, and on top of that, for the metric that they don't even track, just shots, Nick Wright said this on, on First Things First on FS1. Shots not taken. Like the amount of shots not taken that Anthony Davis, like shots that Anthony Davis has deterred players from even attempting is a stat that is like untrackable. But, you know, players get into the paint. They see AD there and they're like, ah, let me, let me pull it out and, and swing it around and see if we can find a better look. Because more often than not, you're you're screwed. You're not you're not getting past Anthony Davis if it's just him standing in front of you in the paint. You could try and draw a foul, but he hasn't really been fouling a lot either. He's been playing really really good defense, man. Not fouling, getting blocks, contesting shots, altering shots. Uh and LeBron, credit to LeBron as well. Uh he is blocking a ton of shots and he is playing really good paint defense. And everyone else on the Lakers is just doing their job. D'Lo is, I mean, he can get hot with the best of them. He opened up game three with, I think, the first 11 points for the Lakers. He started off like five of five, nailed three three-pointers, and he had the first 11 points for the Lakers. It was crazy. Uh, he came out scorching hot. I think he had 21 at the half. So when things like that happen, the Lakers are obviously at their best and they're borderline unbeatable when guys like D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves are nailing all their shots and just make being playmakers and and playing at a high level. Uh cuz when LeBron and AD are both playing really well, it's really hard to play the Lakers. But then you throw again guys like Reeves and D'Lo in there as contributors, now you're you're really cooking. And the Lakers game plan really was very apparent in game one. And it's, it was the formula how they won in game one is the same reason why they won game three, and it's the reason why they lost game two. Guard the paint. Be physical. Make the Warriors beat you. Make someone else outside of Clay and Steph beat you. And in game one, that didn't happen. Lakers win. In game two, Clay hit like eight three-pointers. Steph played really well. Lakers didn't get to the free throw line nearly as much. Like the Lakers, the, the Warriors in game one had six free throws the entire game. They like, they just simply did not shoot free throws. And the Lakers had like 20 something. The differential in free throws was 20. You know, it was crazy. Game two. Warriors limited the Lakers. They didn't foul as much, limited the Lakers from the free throw line. And when you're getting into a shooting contest like that with the Warriors, you're going to lose. And that's exactly what happened. Game three, back to game one basics. Warriors couldn't really hit their shots. Lakers weren't fouling and they were getting to the free throw line. So that, for the, for the Lakers, again, you're not going to win in a shootout with the Warriors. But that discrepancy 
in three-pointers that the Warriors make and free throws that the Lakers take, it basically negates itself. And now it's like, all right, who's going to make more shots in the paint base? And the, the Lakers have done that. Um, so the, the formula for the Lakers to beat the Warriors right now is there. I, I mean, they've won, they've won two games sticking to that formula. And, you know, when it doesn't work, it, it, they lose. But it's all about execution. That's really what it comes down to is just about execution. And if the, if the Lakers can execute, they're going to win. It's, just, it's that simple. Um, it's like, I know sometimes it really just comes down to executing a game plan. Like, it, it is. Like, the Lakers aren't going to win a game where they're in a shootout with Steph and Clay, or they have to rely on AD or LeBron to go out and score 40. That's not how they're built. They are a very, very well-rounded team right now. I mean, you can't talk about how great that trade deadline was for them because they just, Palinka completely reconstructed their roster. And now when they're, when they're cooking on all cylinders, yeah, I'm not even, I didn't even mention like Rui Hashimura, who's just been, you know, he's had about three or four games already this entire playoffs where he's been sensational. And really, really needed offensively. And he's been converting, you know? I like the Lakers. I, I'm going to say Lakers in six. You know, they're in, a, uh, they're in a great position right now where they're up 2-1 and they have game four at home. So you win this game in Los Angeles. You go up 3-1, maybe drop the next one in Golden State, but then you're right back in LA and you close it out right there four games to two. And I, I think that's how it's going to work. That's how... It worked out um, for Memphis as well. They split in Memphis. Uh, they won game, game three and game two, or game three and game four to go up four, uh, three games to one. They lost in Memphis, and then they went back to Los Angeles, and they won game six, four games to two. I think it plays out the exact same way here for Golden State, unfortunately for them. Uh, I just think the Lakers are the better team. Like I said, they are. They're a more well-constructed team, and they simply... You talk about breaking it, boiling it down to one main thing. They just do not have anyone that can deal with Anthony Davis. And it, I started off talking about this series in, in, on this episode. Same thing. It comes down to AD. If Anthony Davis can just give you 25, you're going to win. It's like the magic number. All right, we got the Knicks to wrap up on. Uh, I mean, I'm nervous, man. This is you need to you need this game. You need this game because you drop you drop game one at the Garden. You need this. You cannot go back to New York down three one because we'll be in trouble, man. We will be in trouble. So you need this win. It comes down to Julius Randle. Randle needs to show up. He needs to show up. If there's any time for him to kind of just get it together and, and realize that he is a good basketball player, it's tonight. It's tonight. And I hope this ages well. I really do. I hope my Lakers take ages well too. But I, I hope this ages well. I hope I'm here next week talking about how the Knicks are in the Eastern Conference Finals. I really, really do because it would be devastating if they lost in this round with just how open the East is, anything is possible. And I'm not saying the Knicks, you know, they're going to be favorites to beat Philly or Boston if they get past Miami. 
but it's it's a possibility. I don't think any of these four teams that are left in the East are playing a particularly dominant brand of basketball. Uh, I think the West seems to be more way more challenging now. You know, if Milwaukee was still in it, we'd be playing Milwaukee, which is, you know, <laughs> not great, you know, not, not great. But the West, like the Lakers are such a complete team and they have LeBron and Anthony Davis. The Nuggets have Jokic and Jamal Murray. The Suns have Durant and Booker. And the Warriors have Stephen Clay, right? Just like a dynamic duo on all of those teams. And then you look at the East, and yeah, the Celtics have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but for whatever reason, they, they sometimes they just seem completely inconsistent. The Knicks are actually three and one against the Celtics this year, uh, and the Sixers, the same thing. Like Embiid's a beast; he's probably the most dominant guy in the NBA, but everyone else around him is like, eh, maybe I'll show up today. And James Harden really is the most important piece there, but still. Uh, and the Knicks and Heat are just two really scrappy teams that everyone has to be clicking on all cylinders to win. And you just, with the East, you just don't know. Like, Miami could very well dispatch the Knicks and then go on to the Eastern Conference Finals, beat the Celtics or Sixers, and go back to the Finals. That's a very real possibility with how the East is, is, is looking right now, how everything is left. Um, but if... The Knicks, the Knicks need to win. They need to win. I just, I don't see them winning three of the next four games if they lose Monday night here. I don't. So they, Julius Randle needs to step up and they need to be smarter. It feels like the Heat are just taking advantage mentally of how the Knicks are playing. Uh, Randle... It, come, it comes down to him, man. I mean, Brunson is fantastic, and I love Jalen Brunson, but this Miami T Heat team, they are not the same defensive team the Cavaliers are. Uh, they will make others beat you, and Randall, Randall shooting less than 30% from three in the playoffs this year. And, you know, he obviously wasn't shooting that in the regular season. He's a good basketball player. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, we need him to step up and... And be the guy that he's been. Um, it, it's brutal. Brutal, brutal for, you know, the, uh, the, the roster, the offense to try and operate when Julius Randle is just a complete liability. So he needs to get it going, man. It, it comes down to him. If he can get it going, that just makes the Knicks so much, so much more lethal. And I think they really have a chance. But if they lose this game here and they, they lose both in Miami and they go back to New York 3-1, I really don't like the chances. Because Brunson, Brunson's been well. You can rely on Brunson. R.J. Barrett has had a great playoffs. Um, Josh Hart, love Josh Hart. Obi Toppin's been great, getting great minutes. Mitchell Robinson, he's, he's been struggling a little bit here in this series, but he was dominant in Cleveland um, or against Cleveland. Quickly is hurt, and he's out for this game. And I think that might actually help the Knicks. Maybe Deuce McBride gets some run. He's a good defender, can shoot the ball. Quickly has just... Lights, lights might be too bright for Quickly right now. It's just not been his, his, his uh, postseason. All postseason. He just he hasn't been playing that well. Um, 
And obviously, he was a huge part of the Knicks in the regular season. So, too many guys just not living up to their potential, playing up to their potential. And that's been hurting them. Jimmy Butler is obviously a dog. And you just look around. Where would the Knicks be? Where would the Heat be right now with Tyler Hero? How good would they be looking? I think if Tyler Hero was playing, a lot more people would be looking at them as like legit title contenders with how they've been playing without Tyler Hero, you know? Um, But Jimmy Butler is obviously a beast and just so frustrating to play against because it just feels like he's doing whatever he wants no matter what the Knicks do. It's just like he's two steps ahead almost, you know? Um, and yeah, I got like, got to give credit to, you know, Kyle Lowry is playing smart basketball. He, he's been into the postseason deep playoff runs time and time again. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, uh, Caleb, was it Caleb or Cody Martins on the heat? One of the, Martin, one of the Martin brothers is playing really well. I think it's Caleb, but it's tough, man. It's tough. It is, it is a grueling series and every I'm hanging on every possession it's bone shimmering man it really is but let's go Knicks we need to tie it up going back to the garden uh to continue to end these podcasts with disappointing notes on my Yankees the Mets are also horrific um the Yankees and Mets are both, I think, at 500, maybe a, a game above. The Yankees are a game above at 18 and 17, and the Mets are a game below at 17 and 18. But they're not good. Uh, the Mets, for whatever reason, the NL East is, uh, the Phillies still aren't even good either. <laughs> um, the Mets and Marlins are both 17 and 18. They're 17, seven games back of the Braves, who are 24 and 11. The entire AL East seems good. Uh, the Yankees are in dead last at 18 and 17. They're 10 games back of the Rays. Boston is 21 and 15. The uh, the Blue Jays are 21 and 14. The Orioles are 22 and 12. And I said it last year, but the Orioles are going to be good. They just have a ton of young talent. Gunnar Henderson, Jorge Mateo, uh, Anthony Santander, uh, Adley Rushman. Just so, and they just drafted Jackson Holiday as well. So they just have a ton of young talent that they're going to be really annoying and a problem for the next, you know, handful of years. It's going to be it's going to be really really tough. And you know, the Rays have to be cheating. The Rays just have to flat out be uh cheating in some way shape or form cuz there's just no way they should be this good. They are 28 and 7 and have the best record in baseball. It's just it's just not possible. It really isn't. Um <laughs> Yeah, I hope I hope the Yankees finish in dead last. I really do. Um, someone needs to be held accountable. I wrote a blog about it on AnimalHouseUSA.com. You could check it out. But someone needs to be held responsible because no one has any type of accountability on this team. Aaron Hicks is still getting playing time. He's just flat out maybe the worst player in the MLB. Uh, Boone makes bad managerial decisions. And never seems to take any heat for it. Brian Cashman has not made a meaningful acquisition that has impacted the Yankees in a positive way for quite some time. Traded for Stanton, took on his albatross of a contract. Guy can't stay healthy, and to his credit, he's admitted that it's a huge problem. Aaron Judge should be back. 
soon. I think it's reported he'll be back this week from his his hip strain. He'll be all right. So Judge will be back, and that'll definitely help the Yankees' offense. But the offense isn't the problem. It's the pitching. Signed Carlos Rodon to a big deal, which I was happy about. Uh, but he's injured. He's, he's injured. He injured his forearm, and while recovering from his forearm, somehow hurt his back, which is now labeled as chronic back pain. Uh, and when asked if a July date of return was probable, he said, I'm not putting a time frame on anything. So that's just fantastic. No idea what's going on with Luis Severino. And I mean, Lou Trevino went down with Tommy John injury. He traded for Frankie Montez, even though he knew he had an absolutely messed up arm. He's out for the year. There's just no repercussions. Uh, we're paying Josh Donaldson the same amount of money per year as Bryce Harper. A couple million less than Bryce. Bryce is making like 26. Donaldson's, Donaldson's making 22 million. And, he, and on top of that, he's injured. Like, he can't even stay healthy to, to try and play horrible baseball. He's just injured. So, uh, it never ends. It just never ends. No one's ever taken accountability for how the Yankees have essentially had the same team for the last six years, and we can't do anything. Yeah, I... I said at the end, the way the Yankees lost to the Astros, I, I get it. We made the ALCS. That's great. We barely got past the Guardians in the ALDS, but that's besides the point. Um, the embarrassment that the Houston Astros delivered to us should have been enough to finally say, okay, enough is enough. We need to make some serious changes. Things need to be shaken up. Because we, we didn't re-signed Girardi for the same reason. Girardi took this team to the ALCS. We lost to the Astros. And the Yankees said, hey, we're going to listen to Gary Sanchez, who says you're being mean to him. So we're going to move on and get Aaron Boone in here. And look, I don't really think any of this is, is necessarily a byproduct of Aaron Boone, to be completely honest with you. I think he, he truly does his best, but I think he's handcuffed. I think he's handcuffed by Cashman. I think he's can't handcuffed by nerds who have never seen daylight and, and are just, you know, hounded. I think the analytics still really are coming into play here where it's like, sign this guy because of XYZ. Sign this guy because XYZ. And really all you have to do is look at them and be like, well, why would I sign them? They suck. But that doesn't matter. No, 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 no. That doesn't matter. Things won't change. Things have not changed. And I, you know... If it weren't for Hal Steinbrenner, honestly, I'm giving Hal a little bit of flack here, but if it wasn't for Hal Steinbrenner, Aaron Judge would be a, a San Francisco giant because Cashman was reportedly playing hardball a little bit too much and Judge wasn't really ha happy about it. So Hal Steinbrenner had to step in and, and tell him, look, what do you want? Okay, here it is. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to name you captain. It's the only reason why Aaron Judge came back was because of Hal Steinbrenner, not because don't don't make a mistake about Brian Cashman being like, uh, he worked his magic. He did not. He did not. He probably continuously lowballed Aaron Judge, and Judge was gonna walk, but Hal said, nope, I'll pay you what you want. It's it's crazy that there's just there's no accountability in this franchise for the past several seasons. And it's very disappointing to see. It really is. I'll tell you, I'd love to see, like, Jeter come in and, and get a front office role. He did a great job with the Marlins, and they were set to 
They were set to make a little bit of noise, but the owner flat out said, no, I don't want you signing big free agents. And then that's Jeter wanted to sign Castellanos. The Marlins said no. And he said, all right, well, clearly we're not on the same page. So I'm going to step down from my role because this was not what I was pitched, you know? And the Mets, I, the Mets go and they sign Justin Verlander and it's like, oh, they have the best one-two punch in baseball. Scherzer, first game back from suspension for foreign substance, shelled by the Tigers. Uh, or Scherzer did. And then Verlander, his first start coming off the IL, the beginning of the year, shelled. I think also by the Tigers. So the Mets got swept by Detroit, which is like huge red flag because Detroit has been horrible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, big problems on both ends. Um. And with the Yankees, the lone bright spot was Garrett Cole. And he just completely imploded in that last game against the Rays, which just leads me to deduce that the Rays have to be cheating. <laughs> it's, I'm, I have PTSD. It's crazy. There's no way this team should be that good. It's just impossible. There's not much more to be said. Uh, the Mets have the same problems. They got huge pitching, pitching consistency issue, issues and lineup consistency issues so i mean i hope both teams can turn it around otherwise it's going to be a miserable summer uh we gotta see we gotta see i say i say i hope both teams turn it around i'd rather the mets turn it around and then the yankees just finish in dead last because then at least if we finish in dead last someone's getting fired i don't know if it's gonna be boone cashman but someone's getting fired. <laughs> oh my God, man. It's just everyone, everyone consistently gets better around us and we remain the same. That's just how it feels. Like the Blue Jays made some signings. They, they still look like they're the young team that's on the rise. I still don't really trust them when it comes to winning meaningful baseball games, but at least they're talented. The Red Sox stink and just have, I don't think the Red Sox care about winning at all. They just lost Xander Bogarts to free agency. They have no real sense of direction, and they're playing better baseball than the Yankees. The Orioles are the new young team in town that are going in the division that are going to be hell. And then you have the Rays, who are just, you know, bottom five in the entire league in salary and, you know, top five in performance. Best record in the MLB. Shout out to the Pirates, though. Shout out to the Pirates. The Yankees aren't the only big budget team that are, that are losing, that are struggling. You know, uh, the AL Central is just a, a, a garbage can, a dumpster fire. The Yankees would be a half game out or a, a game out of first place in the AL Central. That's how bad it is. The Twins are 19 and 16 and they're two and a half games in first place. That division's a shit show. Uh, Texas seems to be pretty, playing pretty well. Los Angeles is still kind of figuring it out. They're 19 and 16. Uh, the Mariners and Astros... 17 and they're at both 17 and 17 they're at 500 bit disappointing for them the Braves are playing well the Mets have been disappointing the Phillies have been disappointing uh shout out to the Pirates they're 20 and 15 I love that they got a half game over the Brewers the Cubs are at 500 shout out Cody Bellinger the Cardinals who were expected to be very very good are 11 and 24 so if you're a Yankees fan things could be worse you could be a Cardinals fan Dodgers are not the same team, but they're still in first in the West at 21 and 14. The Diamondbacks are playing well at 19 and 15. The Padres 
I'm sure if you're a Padres fan, they have been underperforming. They're 18 and 17. So you talk about <laughs> the rule changes and the pitch clock and then the pickoffs, the limited pickoffs and the banding of the banding of the shift. And so many of these teams with great offenses coming into the season are just not playing well. Go figure. All right, that'll do it for this episode. From my point of view, we're going to wrap it up with that. I hope this podcast ages well. I hope the Knicks are in the Eastern Conference Finals by this time next week. If they're not, I'll be disappointed, and you'll probably hear that in my voice. (laughs) But thank you all for listening to another episode from my point of view. I appreciate you as always. Have a good rest of your week, weekend, and I will talk to you all next Tuesday. Jack like Jacques.